Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's right. This morning's Gene Shepard program is without a theme. So, uh... We rely on the alternate stereo mix recorded by Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops Orchestra in living stereo on uh, RCA Victor number 09026-61688-2. Strauss Family Waltzes. Tonight's Gene Shepard episode from the summer, from July 2nd. Possibly 1963 or maybe 1964. The jury is still out on these. But it's all about being a peeping Tom. So do enjoy this episode of Gene Shepard right here on Mass Backwards, WBAI, New York. Our suggestion for the week is to have a love affair with the sun. <laughs> I was talking to Dickie the other day, and we're out at the island, and I said, Dickie, my God, I think that's a good idea for an article. Have a love affair with the sun. Since Helena, England, six Chinese restaurant employees were charged today with beating to death a customer who argued about check. Ryan Peace, 24, died of head and other injuries Saturday night shortly after beating. Police Chief James Ball said that after trouble developed over check, quote, the six accused waiters armed themselves with metal pipes, pieces of timber, and forks, and beat up Pierce. He later died after arguing about check. <laughs> what a great time to do a Mandarin House commercial. <laughs> I just, I just, uh, hello, hello. I'm fading, hello there. Bring, just bring up the gain. Go on, I, I like to kick this. No, 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 no. Bring up, bring up the gain on this thing. Way up. I like to kick this baby. Hello. Give me some mod. No, no, give me some modulation. Hello, hello. One, two, three, four. There you go. You mean I'm, I'm peaking? It's funny. It's way down tonight. But you know, uh, that is a great moment now to do a, a Mandarin House commercial. I'll tell you, though, there is something about restaurants that brings out in certain people true insanity. Yes, I don't know what it is. It's, an, it's a kind of insanity that, that is not even known. Oh, speaking of insanity, speaking of wild moments, you have the thing up there? All right, oh, let's go. One, two, three. Stop. I just want you to know I'm here, that's all. I just want you to realize I'm here. Westfield, New Jersey. 
two teenage boys, tennis fans, used science last night in Westfield to practice their services despite the darkness. The two boys donned infrared glasses and put fluorescent paint on the tennis ball. Around 9.30 p.m., police in Westfield received a call informing them of the nocturnal match. Dispatched by Dex Sergeant Norbert Koza, Patrolman William Kenny went to the Orchard Street tennis courts. Putting on a pair of the glasses, the patrolman said all he could see was a ball bouncing up and down in the dark. It reminded him, he said, of the one ball that bounces on the top of the song words in movie shorts. Sing after me, we will now sing Red Sails in the Sunset. The boys, however, had to leave the court. Playing tennis is not permitted in darkness, according to police. Police did not obtain the names of them boys. (laughs) Now, uh, I wish I had the names of those guys. These guys sound like listeners. I'll tell you, anyone who would paint a tennis ball with fluorescent paint and put on infrared glasses and go out and practice tennis either either is totally dedicated. Now, there aren't many totally dedicated people here in, in this world any longer. Either is totally dedicated to tennis or is dedicated to something else. In fact, uh, a lot of things there. I, I think it's a great story. I, uh, by the way, are you dedicated to anything? Uh, W-O-R is... No, 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 wait. Don't, don't, don't rush me. W-O-R is now going to give you, as a public service, a brief seven-second period of total, absolute silence in which you can ask yourself that one question, symbolic, of course, of many of the confusions of our day. This is a public service that will be ranked along with our marine recruiting spots, along with our announcements selling Girl Scout cookies and various other important works that WOR at times indulges itself in. And now, beginning at this moment, I want you to ask yourself, are you dedicated to anything? If so, (laughs) what? Now, come on, you're not playing the game. Be honest just once in your life. Don't give me that jazz about social stuff you're dedicated to. Tell me what you're really dedicated to. <laughs> Nobody will know. It's late. Everybody's in bed. It count. And you don't have to say it out loud anyway. What are you dedicated to? <laughs> I thought we'd get pretty close to something there. I, uh, you'll admit that was a real public service there for one moment that we... Uh, that, that kind of question. I, in fact, I think that wouldn't be a bad thing to write on your mirror in the morning. Time to time. But, you know, speaking of these tennis people, reminds me of something. It's, it's funny how it, it, it dredges something out of the dark fastnesses of existence, goes beyond... beyond. And, and speaking of... Uh, of being things driven out of existence. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a great advocate of... Um, it's pretty hard to, at this time of the, of the world's history, to tell people to look at things around them. But have any of you ever heard of Yellow Kid Weil? W-E-I-L? Does that name mean anything to you? Any of you? In there. Do you, do you know who you... Don't you know who Yellow Kid Weil is? 
Yellow Kid Wild, along with Luke Appling, was literally a byword in, in my family's home when I was a kid. And hardly anybody knows about them today. Yellow Kid Wild, and I have, I have a UPI note here that is closely connected with the Chinese restaurant incident and the guys playing fluorescent tennis. I will read to you in Chicago... Oh, you don't want to hear it in Chicago accent. Chicago. I've been a fraud and a scoundrel for 50 years, said the little man in the yellow spats in black Hamburg. It's been fun. Joseph, yellow kid wild, as sturdy as a blue-ribbon bull on the eve of his 86th birthday, reminisced about his years of fleecing wealthy businessmen and industrialists of millions of dollars. Right. That's right. I'm still going strong, he said. I'm negotiating right now with a friend from Hollywood to make a movie of my most ingenious con schemes. This movie, in fact, could be my my final statement on the subject. The bearded Wiles said, it will be based on true incidents never publicized before. All right, I want to tell you who Yellow Kid Wiles was. Yellow Kid Wiles was one of the most magnificent con men who ever lived in America. And I will award you the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palms if you can tell me why he was called Yellow Kid. Why? Why? Look at us, Americans. We don't know one of the one of the truly great Americans because he came up the hard way. He did it the only the American way. Uh, he he sold gold bricks every inch of the way and be and became fantastically famous at it. A true con man. Well, Yellow Kid Wild was honored in my house because. You know, Chicago, I'm going to tell you something about Chicago as an American city. Uh, a little bit different from New York. Uh, perhaps the Chicago is more outward in what it, what it believes. It doesn't know yet the showbiz attitude of, of hiding your true uh, motives, hiding what you really want to say. In Chicago, Yellow Kid Wild was famous as a con man. Why he was famous is interesting. Because Chicago admires dishonesty. It, in, in fact, it kind of enshrines dishonesty. Uh, I, remember, I remember as a kid sitting around the house and hearing people talk about Al Capone. What did they say about Al Capone out here? Well, Al Capone in Chicago was honored, literally honored. And the reason he was honored was because there were soup kitchens somewhere in Chicago that Al Capone ran. And people used to say, well, you know, he can't be all bad. And all the while they could hear the sound of guns going off in the middle distance and the sound of bodies quietly slipping into the Chicago River, the sound of concrete being poured. <laughs> but as long as it wasn't their body, it was okay. And as long as there were soup kitchens, that made it all right. Now, many, many national leaders are in that same position today of selling one thing with an overtone of respectability. And on the other hand, selling something else, which is not quite so respectable, but which is following in the wake of the respectability of the other thing. Uh, this is this is a real problem. But, you know, speaking of, uh, if I can, if, you know, these kids with, with that late-night tennis thing. I don't know whether you've ever been involved in nocturnal games. <laughs> rotten mind everybody has. <laughs> I'm talking about nocturnal games. Nighttime games. Well, 
I remember as a kid, one of the things that, that used to happen that that we we took up briefly, and this is an awful thing. I'm going to have to tell you something that that has never been reported, even to my old lady. Uh, it was a moment of, of of kind of revelation, but a moment of perhaps understanding myself better than I should have. There was a peculiar fad that swept through about 15 kids in my neighborhood. Just a whole, you know, a bunch of guys that would always play shinning out in front. You know, a whole bunch of guys would hang around together. A strange fad in the middle of a hot summer night, just about this time of the year in Chicago, when summertime sits down on the south side like some gigantic fat lady, just sitting there at a picnic eating donuts. It just sits down on your boy, and you can just feel it. It's just literally sitting down. Well, it is at these moments that kids think of painting fluorescent tennis balls and playing late at night. No, he was not named after a comic strip character. Oh, boy. Oh, I'll tell you. Yellow Kid Wild was named Yellow Kid Wild because Yellow Kid Wild always wore magnificent imported French Yellow Kid gloves. These were his trademark. He also had fawn-colored spats. He rarely fleeced the victim unless he was in full afternoon morning dress. As a matter of fact, and that's spelled with a U. Uh, he, he, he was in magnificent style, and, and uh, the yellow kid gloves were particularly Chicago. Had nothing to do with a comic strip of the same name. But nevertheless, getting back to this, this uh, there's going to be a confession tonight. Uh, speaking of confessions, this is WORAM and FM New York. A very sick thing. Uh, but there is going to be something which uh, I don't know whether I should tell this or not, you know. All right, I will tell you this. At the beginning of the beginning. Out of our memory, you can drag almost anything that happens in the world today. Injustices, biases, sudden lurkings in the dark, bumpings, movements that shouldn't be, magnanimous gestures. Each one of us, I have a belief that any human being, any human being, can understand the motives and the attitudes of every other human being in any situation if he is ever really honest. If he is ever truly honest about himself, primarily. Well, I'm going to give you something. I put the, tell the kids to go in the next room, will you? You can't have kids tonight. No, no, seriously, this is a terrible thing because I don't want to give many ideas, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, there's a true confession, a true confession. All right. Okay, everybody's ready for a true confession. I don't know whether you're ready for it because, you know, what we call true confessions are not really true confessions. They're kind of, they're kind of phony. Now, I want you to look at yourself once and admit that you were, you've done things like this. We were about 12, 12 years old, which is a very yeasty age. At this time of year, uh, oh yes, Esther Jane Alberry was uh, changing. Uh, oh, indeed, uh, Eileen Akers had already changed. There was a lot of talk in the neighborhood about that. Uh, other things were going on which were incomprehensible to many of us. I had read my first spicy detective and uh, had hid it under the icebox down in the basement later to be discovered in a fantastic, traumatic afternoon, which we will not even talk about at this time. When I went down one afternoon to get a model airplane, my old man was reading it. You don't want to hear about that confrontation, do you? 
And he looked up at me and he says, where did this come from? I said, I don't know. He says, oh. And he went out to read it. See, and he was reading a story which I had read, which I thought was particularly good. It was about, it was about this guy that parachuted into this farm somewhere out in the wilds. And uh, he was being tended to by this magnificent girl who somewhere along the line had torn her clothing. Because she's on a farm, you know, they tear their clothes a lot out there. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, compare notes with my, but I saw him reading this. It was a fantastic illustration on the left-hand page. I can still see it. He just kept right on reading, and I got my model airplane and went upstairs. Uh, that was a moment of revelation. However, these things had all happened at this moment. It was now 12. I was 12. Bruner was 12 and a half. Flick was almost 13. Watts was 11. You're getting the cast of characters. Schwartz was 12 and a half. We all had pimples, see? And we all had eyes for Esther Jane. That's about all, just eyes. But they were working. Uh, we had, we each had, had in one way or another, we had each read somewhere along the line, a kind of spicy detective. I never forget that, 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 it was. I, I had an entirely different view. I, I've never been able to forget Maggie and Jiggs. That was an entirely different view of those two. Uh, that was another awful thing. We'll tell about that later too. Now, and I, I told you to get the kids out of the room. I'm serious. I can. I can imagine a lot of guys are falling out of the front seat of their car, you know, and roaring, hitting their head on the gear shift knob. And and the woman next to us, what's he talking about? <laughs> well. This is a this is a male program tonight. It's not a woman. I do not know what happens when a woman discovers sex. Not ever having been a woman. No, I do not. I do not know what goes through the mind of ten-year-old girls. And it's not a matter of discovering sex. It's discovering life itself, I guess. Those great, fantastic, unbelievable, pulsing forces which we all know about. Males especially, I suspect. Well, here it is, dark. We are out playing some very innocent game. You know, just throwing a ball over a garage or hollering or hitting each other. Some, you know, it's a very innocent game. When, like, spontaneous combustion, almost as if a fire had been ignited from within, it spread through the 15 of us. And we're about 15. Flick, Watts, Schwartz, me, Bruner, Stryker, Martin... And all the rest of these guys, doesn't matter. It's about 15 of us louts running around out in the back. When one dark form scurrying along through the alley, chasing the ball, I don't know how to tell you this. Let us put it on this way. Suddenly we became 15 peeping Toms. <laughs> now I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just laying it out. You want to hear the story? So the 15 of us are sneaking around looking at people's houses in small groups, let us say in small combat platoons, moving like shadows through the bushes. You know, kids are very good at moving in bushes at, at the age of 12. We were like animals. We had lived most of our lives in the swamps in that area. We were not city kids, really. We really, we really knew how to move. We had spent whole summers sneaking up on sparrows, spatsies, shooting them with BB guns. That takes some sneaking. I'll tell you, you got to know how to move in the bushes like a shadow. And so we were very... What, what, what embarrasses me is that we were exceptionally good peeping toms, being 12 and being very fast and fleet of foot 
and our knees worked beautifully. And we had superb eyes. That's another thing. And rotten minds, which is the worst thing. Well, we're sneaking up and down, in and out of the alleys, and looking in people's houses. Well, first, at first, it was just a kick looking in the house, like peeking in and looking in somebody's kitchen in the dark. Have you ever done this? Oh, boy. It's a terrible thing. And then you sneak up and you look into somebody's dining room. You look through the ecru curtains, you know, and it's hot and the wind is blowing. And the people are just sitting in there reading. Or the radio's playing. You look in there. You just look. And the, the darkness envelops you. And that hot summer smoky wind off the lake and through the, through the forest comes drifting out over the swamp. And you get even more wild. And you look. You don't know what you're wild about. It's the clandestine. It's the nocturnal. It's the sneaking in the dark itself that's important. And that somebody says, hey, come here. Come on down here. Let's go to Cloningers. And then 30 seconds later, 15 pairs of sneaky eyes are surrounding the Cloninger house. While peeking in darkness. We would start out playing Run, Sheep, Run. We would work into Hide and Seek and then into that sneaking, peeping Tom. Well, this continued for about, I'd say, about four or five nights. And just like all criminals, we began to feel a little bit, one, aggressive, two, overconfident, three, we wanted more. Terrible thing. These, happen, these things happen to everybody who tastes the heady fruit of the clandestine. It is inevitable. It is just the way man works. You put it in a test tube, it titrates out. Never works any different. Just about that way. You give a guy Czechoslovakia, he wants the Sudetenland. You give him the Sudetenland, he wants England. You give him England, he wants Holland. It just works that way. Well, about the fourth or fifth night, on a real hot night, we are drifting in and out, looking in at things, peeking, peering, moving like shadows through the darkness when we hit the jackpot. The jackpot. There was a house way down at the end of the block, a family that nobody hardly knew. And the 15 of us are drifting in and out of the hedges, over the fences, behind the garages, when one of the guys says, Look! It was the double jackpot on a hot June night with millions of mosquitoes biting and gnawing away and the smell of the lake and that flickering red of the, of the fires of hell over there in the blast furnaces playing with those skies. It was the double jackpot. Everybody's looking at me saying, what did you see? You know what we saw. The 15 of us, 12 years old, it made spicy detectives seem like greasy kid stuff. And we're working in the bushes. And we're, we're, we're sweating. Wild. Back and forth we go. And then we quietly drifted with the darkness was all drifted off into the dark. And we're sitting back at Flick's house. And we're talking in the darkness, whispering. Whispering about this thing. And then we began to be very embarrassed with each other. Do you know the feeling of being embarrassed with everybody around you? And everybody has done it or has been involved? It's a funny feeling. 
One by one, guys. Oh, oh, I'll see you at the ballpark tomorrow. And they're breaking up. Back to the houses. When I got back into the house, I don't know how to describe the feeling, except that I knew either instinctively or perhaps I even knew uh, rationally that I had become a true lawbreaker, a genuine rotten person. But I didn't regret it. I, I don't know how to say this either. I didn't regret it. I would have done it again. <laughs> I know it. But I came into the house, and there's my mother sitting there. You know, she's doing something with the bath mat of a doily, and my old man is looking at the Sears catalog. My kid brother is flaked out in the day bread. And I come in. I am forever changed. My mother looks up and says, Where you been? Oh, I'll play the guys. And she looked at me, and somehow she knew that something was not right. And I knew that she knew it. I went to bed about an hour later, tossing, turning, sweating. The next day, all 15 of us are out on the ball field. It's a very strange afternoon at the ballpark. A lot of very peculiar plays. All of us were transgressors. What do you think we were doing at 8.30 that night? Back of Flick's garage. We were planning the big campaigns. We had struck pay dirt. Well, it went from bad to worse. We began to pick specific houses, people, and we started to fan out. We began to work in the different neighborhoods. And then about Tuesday, this is about a week after we started, there is a note in the Hammond Times. It says, police have been alerted against a band of peeping toms. Which, <laughs> I mean, we never thought of ourselves as the things the police would be alerted about. And, and we, there's, there's a wild consultation. Hey, did you see? What? A, what? Oh, oh, no, no, that's not us. Because we always thought of peeping toms as great, big, terrible people, you know, that got shot. Guys that were chased up and down alleys, you know, that kind of stuff, nothing. You know, it's not us. We're just, <laughs> we're just out playing around. We're playing. We, we always like to think it was an extension of the games that we had been playing. You understand what I'm saying here? We kept telling ourselves that it was a game. It was not, we were not really doing this. It was part of run, sheep, run. It was part of hide and seek. We read the piece in the paper on Tuesday. What do you think we were doing Tuesday night? You guessed it. Well, about 10 o'clock Tuesday night, I am working one end of the street with about nine other kids. <laughs> and down at the other end of the street, there's about nine other kids working in and out of the bushes, sneaky little shadows, the smell of the lake hanging over everything, the mosquitoes humming, a few grandmothers sitting out on the front porches, and you can hear the swings going, and we're working the neighborhood. When all of a sudden, you can hear from like 35 directions, sirens. And there was a loud shouting down at the end of the street, people running around with flashlights, and we 
fly out of the basement. We fly out of the bushes. We fly out from behind the garages. You could see kids coming out from all directions, running around. And all of us are sort of drifting around. Hollering, you're it. You're it, Charlie. Hey, you're it. Oh, hey, you're it. You're it. You're it, Charlie. You're it. Hey, ho, oh, hey. Oh. Well, that ended the peeping Tom business in the neighborhood. And it was said around there that it was a false alarm. That the old lady down at the end of the street had just been imagining things when she saw that face in her bedroom window. Everyone said she was kind of a nut. And there were 15 kids that agreed, loudly, even adding a few details about how nutty she was. Oh, I remember the time out in the front lawn I would hit the ball. And everyone sort of added fuel to this thing, this nut down at the end. But now, for the first time, you know the truth. You know the truth of the summer madness that lurks in that stygian cellar of the mind of man. But is it summer madness? Am I still capable of lurking in the darkness? One guess. Are you? <laughs> no. I don't know. I suppose each one of us carries his small freight with him. Old frights. Ancient scares. Nocturnal musings. Quiet readings in the cold bit of existence of clandestine magazines of a singularly pulpy variety. <laughs> Fifty studies for art students only. Mailed in plain sealed wrapper. Fifty. Count fifty. For art students only. For art students, we have a wonderful selection of 16 millimeter movies containing many exotic poses, all of which will be of invaluable aids to true serious artists who are particularly interested in the human anatomy. Send your name and address. You must be over 21. Get on our mailing list. <laughs> All right, cut it out. And then, then of course, there's, there's the... There's the awful night. I'll, I'll have to tell you one more thing. Because the summertime brings this kind of thing out. It just doesn't do this in the winter. I'm looking at those. Just look out once. Look, look at the sky flicker. Well, it's been flickering. Summer storms. And I believe it is nights like this when wars are plotted. When unbelievable trysts are contemplated and various other... Uh, you know, I hate to admit it. The devil has by far the best part. He's got the great lines. It's very difficult to find anyone. I've never known anyone, really, I'm, uh, uh, who, if he was really honest, did not have 
a tremendous affinity for sin of all varieties. Now, you know what's happening in our time. We are giving in to it, you know. Uh, for a while in history, we didn't. But now we are giving in to it. But we are making of it an intellectual adventure. You know that all over this country, guys are experimenting with getting bombed out of their skulls with drugs. Uh, under the guise of an intellectual experience. This is a purely physical kick. And you get one of them cornered and you say, why, of course, I'm working on uh, the threshold of perception. I'm uh, moving back these more metaphysical aspects of man's mind. Now, the other day I was bombed on, on pot, and I tell you, I moved back the perception. <laughs> Nobody will admit that he's getting kicks. It's part of a, it's, it's a kind of cover. In fact, they just had that recent thing at Harvard, you know, the LSD 25 bit. Uh, pretty interesting. Wild experiments going on. All, all of course, under the most uh, serious of intellectual pursuits, of course. I'd be very serious about this. Very serious. Very serious. It reminds me, it reminds me of some of the, the experiments that were carried out under the Nazis. Now, did you know that some of these wild experiments of, of, of figuring out, say, for example, how long it takes a guy to die in a block of ice? So they've got a guy there, and they're freezing him in ice, and everyone's standing around pretending they're seriously interested in how long it took him to die. Never would admit that they were getting some kind of a peculiar, sadistic, vicarious kick out of it. And as long as you keep all kinds of little figures and notes and all that, you can hide it, you see. Hiding, I believe, is one of man's chief talents. Hiding practically everything. Well, I'm going to tell you something that happened on a quiet Saturday night in a long, hot summer in Chicago. To begin with, I, I feel, I, I, I think that, that, that nature affects man far more than he's ever willing to admit it. I believe that a man living, say, in Mississippi, near the swamps, malarial, hot, steamy, has many other forces working on him than any of us can ever possibly understand. I just believe this. Whether we like it or not, I believe it's true. Having lived in a couple of malarial, swampy places, I know this is a fact. Uh, it's much different from the Grand Concourse when you're living next to a bayou somewhere with great mossy trees and the sound of water continually lapping and the buzz of mosquitoes accompanying your entire life. Well, in Chicago at nighttime, in the summer, it would get like, oh, 400 degrees. Incredible heat. Because they don't have a sea breeze. You know, we have a sea breeze here. And even on the hottest night here in New York, it's kid stuff. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. I've lived in New York now for, for a long enough to know that what they call here in New York a bad day is one of the better days anywhere else in the world. I'm sorry. New Yorkers have a great passion for feeling sorry for themselves and their air-conditioned life. But I can tell you that in Chicago... About, about mid-July, when nothing has moved, nothing has moved, not a breath has stirred for like four weeks, and the cornfields for millions of miles around are baked to a kind of concrete hardness. The ground actually cracks under them, just cracks. And you get into the lake out there, you go swimming in Lake Michigan, and the water is hotter than the air. Well, that what little breeze that blows off of it brings in hot air, not cold. 
and millions and millions and millions of mosquitoes just laying there. Nothing has moved for weeks. Well, it is at the nadir or perhaps the apogee of these moments that one contemplates the infinite. And one of the, one of the evenings, just like this, we're sitting around, there's about seven kids, and we're about 15 at this point. It's a quiet, hot, fantastically humid summer night. Don't come around with me with humidity. Oh, boy. In Chicago, listen, when they hit 100 degrees, 100% humidity, that's a dry day. Believe me. They, they've worked. The, the, the first theories of supersaturated air were worked out out there. Just sits there and you drip. And the steel mill is going full blast, 40,000 degrees a second. BTUs are flying all over the air. And there is also a drifting of blast furnace dust, which you don't get here. Blast furnace dust is an interesting thing. It's like it's like fallout from the blast furnace. And it comes down in a continual drifting cloud. And in the summertime, the cloud is hot. Like little hot pieces of ash coming down. So we're pulling around scratching. And you can smell the Lever Brothers plant. It's, they're cooking soap a couple of miles down the road there. And it, it produces, it produces a, 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 a heady kind of existence. Everything's going on at once. You grow so that you're, you live with the mosquitoes. You're part of it. You, know? you just live with them. You don't even think about it. I remember standing out in center field at twilight in, the, in a cloud of mosquitoes so thick you could not see home plate clearly. Really. I'm serious. With the lights on in a ball game. And they'd hit a fly ball, and you would just see the mosquitoes. It was like a wash. The ball is going through the cloud. You could just see the wash, the waves of mosquitoes. And you play it. You're running through clouds of gnats. Millers are flying all over you. Mosquitoes, gnats, flies, moths. And finally you reach up and you get the ball going away. And, you, and, and as it hits in your glove, you hear, squish. <laughs> That's the truth, I'm telling you. And then if you breathe too deeply, you'll likely get three or four millers, two moths, and a bee that was out late coming home from work. You just inhale, I thought. It's a kind of, kind of wild scene out there. Well, on a quiet night like that, we're sitting around. What do you, what, what do you want to do? I said, what, 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 what do we do? You want to go down the... There's a Merle Oberon thing down there. So we're sitting, we're going to think of going... Well, somebody announced... We had a car. Somebody announced... Well, it wasn't really an announcement. It was a challenge. Challenge are often, often made in the form of an announcement. Any of you guys ever been to the Star and Garter? <laughs> well, I want to tell you what the Star and Garter was. The Star and Garter was a place that even when you passed it as a kid, you were embarrassed because you'd heard about it. The Star and Garter was in Chicago and was what they call, I, I guess it's a burlesque house, you know, a burlesque house where everybody stands up and they watch the show. And guys walk up and down and sell Mexican wallets. And they sell candy that comes in a box for 25 cents with genuine art pictures from Paris. And then the show keeps going on and on. And these ladies come out and do these very strange things. And once in a while, a tenor stands up over the right and he sings, A pretty girl is like a memory. And all the while, they're selling the, the candy. Well, we had heard about that. And it was a thing that, that had been mentioned once or twice in my company as a place where my father and Uncle Carl went occasionally on New Year's Eve. Well, we're sitting around, about 10, 12 of us, 
And about a half an hour later, we are in the Star and Garter, sweating, hot, steamy, mosquitoes, and a red-headed lady standing up in front wearing a lampshade. Well, now, <laughs> she was wearing a funny kind of lampshade. It looked very much like a, a lampshade that my Aunt Min had called the Flaming, the Flaming Firefly Lampshade. And it had a firefly on it that lit up. Well, this lady lit up, and she was standing up in the front there, and she, had, she was wearing also what appeared to be fringe. The fringe was hanging down, and she moved the fringe in a funny way. And she kept sort of hanging on to the scenery. I had never seen anybody do anything like that before. And there was a guy sitting down in front wearing a toupee hitting tom-toms. And he was going... Dum, 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 dum. Well, at first, I didn't like it. Well, about ten minutes into the show, I not only found that I liked it, that I felt that I had found some kind of truth. I had found some a, a genre that finally made it for me. I did not like shows after years of PTAs. I did not like shows after years after years of the Orpheum. And I'm sitting there and watching and standing and eating candy and getting a kind of a sick feeling that I knew that I shouldn't be doing this. Flick is getting the sick feeling. Schwartz is getting the sick feeling. It got worse and worse. And two guys got up there in front of the stage and started to squirt water into the audience and say terrible things. All the worst stuff, and I remember some of them. I wish I could say some of them right now. <laughs> terrible things. Well, we saw the show. It went on till about midnight. We piled back in the Mondelez and drove home. We all split up. One by one, went into the house. And my mother says, where have you been? I said, well, I went to the show. She says, what did you see? Oh, I went down to the Orpheum. She said, the Orpheum? What, what did you see down there? And I said, oh, I don't know. What's at the Orpheum? I saw what's at the Orpheum. She said, well, what did you see down there? I said, well, I don't know. What's at the Orpheum? It's down there. And she knew somehow that I had not been to the Orpheum. It was, what's going on in there? Hey, what's the trouble? Hey, hey, where's she going? What's the trouble? Well, it doesn't matter. Too late to get it. Too late? Too late? Hold on there. Too late. <laughs> Boy, if that isn't a symbolic remark. Too late, fellas. You caught it too late. Whatever it was you caught. Don't worry about it. Too late. Well... On quiet nights like this, or are they quiet? On evenings like this, when the when the wind is blowing off the ocean, when you can see that flickering in the sky, when the animal in us is much, much stronger than anything else, when the farina in us starts to bubble and boil, have you ever looked at a bowl of oatmeal, at a pot of oatmeal that's being cooked, and those bubbles keep flying up to the surface. <laughs> How many peeping toms are with me tonight? Now, being a peeping tom does not necessarily mean that you actually went and did it. I repeat the question. How many peeping toms are with me tonight? How many fans of red-headed ladies wearing lampshades are here this evening? Raise your hands. <laughs> As I said, this is not a girl show tonight. How many, how many fans of Spicy Detective are here tonight? How many Maggie and Jig addicts are there with us tonight? 
out there in that stygian darkness, with the sky flickering over us, with that hot, summery breath coming in off the ocean, and you can smell somewhere the life force itself. Gene Shepard from June, no, July 2nd of 19, oh, probably 63, maybe 64, which wraps up this evening's edition, or this morning's edition, if you prefer, of Bass Backwards. We'll be back next week, 3.30 to 6. As a matter of fact, we'll be back tomorrow, 3.30 to 6. I'm sitting in for Vic the Bruiser on Rock'em Sock'em and Knock'em Dead Rock and Roll Radio. Uh, looking at uh, the Nuggets box sets, uh, both the American and the British version, as well as the Stiff box set of the Stiff record label. And Sunday night, Golden Age of Radio, 7.30 to 9 o'clock, featuring Damon Runyon Theater and uh, more. So join us any of those times. Stay tuned to WBAI Sunrise, coming up next here at WBAI New York with Marjorie Moore. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.